podcast has bad words. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Emily Oster, the author of the new book, Crib Sheet. And before we dive into our surprise questions today, we have some surprise, surprise questions. Surprise questions, yes. great, my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These printed out surprise questions. Right, I didn't, get, I, didn't I should have cheated. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're multiple choice. Uh, before we talk about the data behind parenting, we, we do this little segment called More About Less, where we typically read an article or an excerpt or, or something, but I, I found this New Yorker cartoon that I felt perfectly captures the, uh, the idea of helicopter parenting. And, um, I mean, it's a, obviously a parodic exaggeration of it, but uh, here we go. Ryan, you want to explain this, what's going on in this, and we'll hand it over to Emily. Sure. Uh, all right, you've got, um, it looks like a classroom setting. you got a student standing at the desk talking to the teacher and a couple students sitting down on the desks. And the, the caption says, I don't have my homework, Miss Flynn. My parents forgot to do it. <laughs> <laughs> now... Yep. I, I tend to, Ryan and I are cuspers. We were both born in 1981. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, I tend to identify more with Gen X than I do millennials. Although, sure. depending on which demographer you talk to, uh-huh. we, we fit uh, uh, into either it's category. Whatever's convenient for us. Right. Today, we're Gen Xers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, and so, um, Ryan and I didn't have helicopter parents. That's for sure. I think that's probably why we identify more with Gen X. I was telling Emily during the break. How my mom in the fifth grade would leave me home with a newborn, a one and a half year old, a two and a half year old. <laughs> she wanted you to be the helicopter. And be, yeah, yeah, and be like, here, you babysit the kids. I got to go to work. I'm taking you out of school. I thought it was great because I didn't right. have to go to school. It was awesome. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, they, they were the opposite of helicopter parents. What's the opposite of a helicopter, Josh? Free range. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's true, right? That's yeah. the thing, I mean, right? I don't think it's not quite because that... Well, the thing you describe, I think I would not... It, it, is That's that's, that's not a great... Right. <laughs> right. That doesn't have a name, yeah, uh, yeah, a, yeah. a type name. But I think if you if you asked in the sort of types of parents that people... Uh, yeah, I think free range would be the opposite of yeah. helicopter. So what does the data of. say about, about uh, helicopter parenting versus free range parenting? Uh, you know, it's... it's <laughs> It's, it's interesting. This is something I've been I've been looking into more lately as my kids get um, as my kids get older. For, like when you write about you know kids from from birth to three, these kind of issues around you know everyone's helicopter parenting their newborn. Like I don't know, like you have to be around them. Right. Um, ah, but you know I think we people, people talk about this. There's there's kind of this interesting trade off where on the one hand, generally like more parental involvement is good. You know if you sort of look at like. I don't know, the sort of differences across socioeconomic group and kids' outcomes, we sort of tend to see that like parental involvement is is a benefit. But on the on the other hand, it, there is some evidence that maybe it can go too far. And you see some of these these like there's a very nice book by someone who's um, who's the dean of who's like a, a dean at Stanford about like sort of encountering undergraduates who kind of have never woken themselves up, mm-hmm. right? And I and you doing you know you do sort of like get into this even as you as you have um, I, I teach undergrads and you know they come to talk my advisees come to talk to me and these are very very accomplished kids. I mean, they're, these are undergraduates at Brown University. This is a it's very difficult to get into Brown University. Yeah. These kids are super super smart. And and yet in some cases there are some sort of basic life skills that you don't uh that you you just kind of don't have if your parents didn't make you develop them or if you didn't like mm. if you had this sort of this kind of extensive scaffolding you're, you're reminding me um, of uh, my wife her one of her first roommates uh when she went to uh university in wisconsin 
Um, she showed up and her roommate was, I believe, from somewhere in Southern California and had been helicoptered apparently most of her life. Now, now my wife, she grew up on a farm. She is now a, a dietitian and nutritionist. She like she a great cook. And her roommate was saying, hey, can you help me figure out how to make this macaroni and cheese? <laughs> Literally. And she's like, yeah, first thing you have to do is boil the water. She goes, how do I do that? Oh, wow. And, and you're like, oh, you got into this university, a good school. And you don't know how, literally don't know how to boil water. Yeah. And I think that's where, when you talk about parental involvement is good, I, I, if I were to pin that, I, it seems to me that parental involvement is good to a point, right? Where yeah. they're doing the homework for you or they're, they don't teach you how to boil water, then, then you're in for a world of hurt when you, when you enter the real world. Yeah, and I think that you know you can. There's there's a question about sort of what's the age appropriate amount of stuff for kids to do themselves, and I think it's it's easy. One of the things that's hard is hard in, in parenting is that you don't always know how much scaffolding you're providing, mm. right? That you sort of don't. It can be easy to forget that every time you say like, "Hey, is your homework in your backpack?" Like that that you're the one who's every time you're saying, "Is your homework in your backpack?" Is your homework in your backpack? And you and you sort of you're just saying that and saying that and. And then their homework always is in the backpack. And then one day that you're that you're out of town, their homework's not in their backpack because you're not saying, is your homework in your backpack? But right. you don't think about that as like, you sort of don't think about that as as kind of helicopter parenting. And it's not really in quite the way that this cartoon cartoon implies, but you know, there is an, an yeah. ownership that kids, um, that kids do, you know, do need to, yeah. to take. But I don't know, I mean, this sort of general kind of pr- sort of protectiveness around kids is a big, is like a big thing you know i don't know like when i was a kid i actually grew up in a sort of very similar socioeconomic group that i am my family is in like my parents are also professors and so it's there's like a lot of of parallels but i remember as a kid i like i walked home from school you know it wasn't like nine miles in the snow but it was like a mile and you know starting in like the first or second grade i would walk home with some other kids and that was like the way it worked and and my my kid does walk home from school but it's like two blocks and it is it's clear that like we're way out in the tail Mm. of like what people think is acceptable when we had like a second grader walk home two blocks to a house with a person you know with an adult at the house yeah I, I find that with 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 our school as well like it's only a few blocks for ella but no one lets their kids sort of cross the the one busy street at, at age six but i know ryan and i we, we both grew up uh in ohio really poor food stamps government assistance drug and alcohol in the home and so now everything like i know bex my wife worries about stuff with ella and I'm like, mm, you really like to me, the, the I just have a, such a radically different perspective. And it's probably it's skewed the other way. It's, it's mm. probably not that helpful either, because it, my, my bar is set so low that you can you can stumble over it and, and succeed wildly. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it is. I mean, this does come up all the time in the U.S. sort of thinking when we think about kind of how. Ha- like what is the value of of the choices that you make as a parent? Like how important are the the investments that you make in your kid? Like how much does it matter? How much does it matter in your parenting? And so one of the things that, that this book says, my book says is sort of like a lot of these choices that people obsess about, you know, people kind of in, in this, in particular groups that obsess about like, should I co-sleep? You know, should I, when should I potty train my kid? Like it doesn't, doesn't matter. Like yeah. potty train your kid like kind of whenever you want, like, you know, it's gonna. If you do it when they're older, it'll take a little longer. If you do it when they're younger, you'll have to have a little bit less poop. Like it's okay. It's not. It's not the thing that's gonna make your kid success. You yeah. just all it is gonna mean is that they're pooping in the potty. So that's fine. And so I think that those kind of uh, in within some range, 
many of these choices don't really matter that much. And yet it is certainly true that the experiences that kids have as as sort of babies and, and toddlers really do matter for their for their outcomes when we when we sort of look at the range of experiences that, that kids are having and to being in a stable and predictable home with like rules and food every day and, and stable housing, those things are really important. Yeah. You know, exactly which like Montessori technique you adopt for your kid, <laughs> that's like not actually that important. And we're spending a lot of time talking about this thing and, and not as much talking about the kind of inequalities that perpetuate these broader issues. Yeah. When I think about being raised free range, I actually, as it was, <laughs> as it was, yeah, I, uh, I really learned a lot. Like I am who I am today because of that environment. I don't really like who I am today. So, I mean, for me, when I think about raising kids, but there was no stability. No, no, in there was no household. stability in, or consistency actually on. So on the way to, on the walk this morning to work, I was thinking about two things. I was thinking about, uh, when Mariah and I have kids, like we have to help the kid understand how consistency is important in life. So like the way you do that and, and again, no kids, so I'll, I'll tell you how to do it. <laughs> but you, you know, you put, you put the kid in a consistent environment, but also explain to them why the benefits of a consistent life and not only how it helps raise a good kid, but how it helps you be a good adult with consistency. Cause when I think about, uh, I mean, I was telling Emily before the break, I was born in Knoxville uh, moved to New York when I was four years old. Parents split up. My mom uh, took me to Ohio. Um, I lived uh, with mom for a little bit, then went with dad, then uh, went to lived in Tallahassee for a year, came back. Um, I remember my grandparents' home, uh, my mom's mom, like really enjoying that place. Um, she would, you know, moved around a little bit, but there was no stability. And I remember at a certain point, uh, like I was at my grandma's, and I remember thinking like, oh, I'm having such a good time right now. Like this, she had a farm, horses, and I'm like, this isn't going to last because nothing lasts in my life. And sure enough, eventually grandpa passed away and like she got rid of the house. But like that was just, you know, a symptom of, you know, something much greater that was going on. So uh, consistency, but also, um, so, so that's one thing I would do definitely do differently. And I think that comes with being a little bit more helicoptery, you know, on the helicopter spectrum than the free range spectrum. But the other thing is, is the failures like we 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 as parents <laughs> me as a hypothetical parent like well i mean i'm thinking about having kids like i don't want my kids to fail i don't want my kids to like you know forget their homework right but but also i think about how if you prevent your kids from failing you're really doing them a, a disservice like i would rather my kids fall flat on their face and then i would be like oh that's why you shouldn't run downstairs. Yeah. Because I mean, I mean that's probably a bad example because you don't want your kid falling downstairs. But I mean, you understand the metaphor there. Metaphorically speaking. <laughs> right. And although you know it's it's strange, I, I think the both sides of this, there there seems to be some some problems because I think of like anyone we perceive to be a great success, and of course, generally we we define success very narrowly, a Steve Jobs or someone like that. You never see like their successor be like the equally great success. Even even when they assume the same like position, we have you know, sort of political dynasties or or whatever. Like it never lives up 
or very rarely lives up to the so true. Yeah, the the king's son is never as John great Quincy as the king. Adams. He, he's no John Adams. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. So, <laughs> so you what you're saying that Sean. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is, is with our kids, we're really raising our predecessor. Right. Should be. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that becomes the problem, right? Because like then we're we're pigeonholing them into like uh, you know it. Uh, my favorite basketball player is John Stockton and his son, David Stockton played for the Utah jazz for, I think one quarter. Uh, <laughs> and, and the whole point is like, he's not as good as his mm. father, but he's really, really good. But yeah. like, how can you love how Michael Jordan's sons? Have you ever heard about Michael Jordan's sons? He's got sons. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they're good at basketball, oh. but they're not Michael Jordan. Good at basketball. Let's go regression to the mean. Okay. Right, that you like have there's a there's a like an a, sort of you're like you have like an average level, and when you there's a sort of very extreme when the parent is very ex- extreme, then uh, you expect that their kind of kid should should regress to the average mm. regression to the mean. Okay, interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. just like a statistical, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's statistical just like, rule. A, like a thing. Just uh, a, yeah. Okay, so I was reading crib sheet uh, in the hospital this uh, this past week and. I didn't realize there was so much stuff to worry about. Oh, dude, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> yeah, when I started reading no, the book, I was no. like, oh my God, I didn't even know I should be worried about half this yeah, stuff. But now I talk, you do. I talked to Bex <laughs> yeah. about it. She's like, yeah, of course I was worried about those things. <laughs> As a mother, I'm like, colic? What the hell is colic? When did you start parenting Ella? Three years old? She was one. One, oh. Yeah, so uh, I was going to say, you got through the like, right. colic and the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have You came in a little a little advanced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although, when I when I first met Ella, I think she was auditioning for ISIS <laughs> because she's a terrorist. <laughs> right. Uh, especially when she was like from one and a half to about three. That's a, that's a low point. Mm. I always tell people, people are like, what's the worst? You know, like when you travel with kids, like one and a half after three that's like the that's like the pits mm. yeah. you know yeah. a baby no problem you well just... now ella was different i didn't i didn't know her as a as a brand new baby but but uh i've seen videos of her literally screaming for hours on end and uh maybe that's what she was passionate about josh <laughs> yeah. you're supposed to cultivate children's passions <laughs> so th- there, there were some questions you raised early on in the book about um uh I'm surprised breastfeeding is even controversial these days. Yeah, like, I, it's funny. I saw that too. Like, because I, I hear people who are just like, if you don't breast breastfeed your kid, you're a horrible parent. Yeah, and that's that. yeah. yeah. I, I had no idea. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure there are compelling reasons not to, or not even compelling reasons not to, but there there are reasons why someone wouldn't. Maybe they don't have the capacity to do so or whatever. But uh, I think at this point. Is the science is pretty settled on it's more healthy to to breastfeed your your kid, and especially we don't what we don't know about the microbiome yet is is a big thing. So I will say sort of two two, two things. So so I think you know that women get a lot of pressure about breastfeeding, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of like breast is best, breast is the way to make your kid a successful adult. Da, 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 da. You know, and I think that the the evidence there are some benefits, um, particularly dig- sort of digestive kind of benefits. The evidence does not support some of the kinds of benefits that are cited, particularly about later life health. Okay. So things like, you know, breastfeeding is going to raise your kid's IQ. That is not supported in the data. You can see why the correlation is there because breastfeeding rates really heavily correlate with mom's education, mom's income, mom's IQ. There's all kinds of selection stuff. Mm-hmm. Once you adjust for that, say, comparing two kids in the same family, same mom, different, what one's breastfed, one's not, you don't see those kind of effects on IQ. And the same is true for like later life obesity. Mm. And, you know, now that is sort of 
that that is not to say that there aren't some of these some of these benefits and and the one that comes up the most strongly in sort of all of the studies is like early life digestion so you know infants t- infants tend to digest breast milk better that's mm-hmm. just that's true um and that means that there are less you know there are fewer gastrointestinal problems and so that is a, like a good reason to to try to breastfeed and a good reason to breastfeed but uh but not it's it's not the kind of like be all and end all of of parenting that I think people um, people say, and I think part of why that message has been um, has been tr- tricky is that it makes people feel really bad. So um, breastfeeding is really can be really hard, yeah, uh, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's both can be very hard to make it work. Uh, it can be very challenging for people to to do while combining with like other aspects of their life. I mean, many people don't have a lot of maternity leave, even if you do, you know, even if like you're trying to have a 50 hour week job and you're back at work at four months and you're supposed to pump, you know, 30 minutes a day, Mm. like, you know, sorry, 30 minutes every three hours, you know, in your office. Like, I think you want to think about like every three hours, you take many of your clothes off and you stick some things on your boobs Mm -hmm. and then you sit there and it's kind of loud. And so it's hard to like have a call because there's this... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> noise and people on the phone are like what is that you're like oh i don't know outside they're doing some construction um you know outside that's what it is and so you know it's it's like a it's a lot um and you know then you're traveling and you're in the a- airport at LaGuardia and you're like pumping in the stall and it doesn't lock you know and people are coming and you're like no i'm i'm in here pumping Mm. So anyway, this is just, just like now we're getting into some personal problems I'm having. Um, so, uh, but I, I do think that that um, this has this has become a big, uh, a big, a big thing, a big source of of stress for for moms. And I think it's it's useful to kind of put out the evidence there and say, look, you know, there's some good reasons to do this. Here are some ways that we can support uh, support women and some things that can make it work better and make it easier. But like, let's not overstate how important this is. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a, that's also important. Let's not overstate it. But also, if it is important, especially from the, the gut microbiome perspective, which I I assume that it is. I mean, we've evolved as humans, obviously, yeah, for for well, hundreds of thousands of years to 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 drink breast milk. What we should probably do as a society, if we've determined like this is important for kids' development, maybe it's not that in, it's not the most important thing, but it's it's probably up there for for infants in, in terms of importance. Then maybe we should find ways to better structure. Um, you know, our our public spaces so mm-hmm. that it, yeah. it, it becomes easier for women to be able to to breastfeed. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think one of the things that I find most frustrating about this space is that we're spending so much time on promotion and so much time saying this is most important, this is most important, this is most important, and very little on support. Mm-hmm. And that is both support for like getting it to to work at the beginning and support for, you know, like making it easy for people to to do it. And so sort of simultaneously having the message that if you don't breastfeed, like you're not giving your kid the best start and then when someone is breastfeeding in public being like put that away it's like you know that's yeah. really like that's absurd that's absurd like the, yeah. actually so the a the aap who is very high on breastfeeding which is fine put out like a sort of breastfeeding promotion photo the other day and it was like i had some message like you know breastfeeding gives your kid the best start or something it was a picture of a woman breastfeeding her kid clearly in her house like in a chair in her house and she had a nursing cover on 
And it was sort of like, breastfeeding is the most important thing, but it's so shameful that you should be covered up even in your house, you know? Mm. And of course, it's like, there's some issue, like what, you know, you can't show a picture of a boob or what, I don't know, what it is. Which what is also is. absurd. I mean, you so can what have is a, that? You can have yeah. advertisement right next to that where there's a guy what? surfing and he, both of his nipples are showing. No one's like, or, oh my God. Forget about that. You can yeah. have it next to a picture of a woman in, in a bra with only her, you know, the kid is on there, the nipple's covered. You know, I don't know yeah. why that's any different than... Then it, what is this? I mean, it, you know, it's even, crazy. Even yeah. though, like, it's not you know as bad as other countries, I still think like there's some repression in the United States. And I mean, and this is evidence but of it. But on this dimension, other countries are way better. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. I mean, not, we, like, right, right. I yeah, I think we're in the middle somewhere. Like, yeah, Europe is way more. Yeah, open. yeah. Europe we're is like, way more open. Iran, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yes. That's right. I mean, that's that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> so uh, just can, I can imagine like someone like in a Saudi ad like that where it's just like. There's a lump oh. of the babies underneath, <laughs> underneath the, it, yeah. the, the burqa. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that would not be acceptable. <laughs> yeah, I a guess built not. In, it's a built-in nursing cover. Yeah. <laughs> so out of curiosity, what? so with breast milk, does it help, A, the microbiome or the immune system? Because those are the two biggest arguments I hear with breastfeeding. So I think that, that the, the, the we don't exactly know the mechanisms for some of these effects like on digestion. Mm. I think that, that most people would attribute it to the, to the immune system. And I think the microbiome is something that's just like, like honestly, just not that well understood. Mm. So I think we have some vague sense that the microbiome of breastfed babies is different from from formula fed babies. But actually, whether that's important and in what in what way it's important, I think is not is not well understood. I actually just had a call with somebody uh, at a researcher at Cornell who is planning to do like a pretty large scale study of the the infant microbiome in which she was going to crowdsource some poop. Um, yeah. So if you're interested, if you're mm. listening to this and you have a ba- and you're planning to have a baby and you're interested in having your baby's poop crowdsourced, uh, yeah. you can follow me on Twitter and then I will when they are ready to crowdsource. Uh, I, I wish will, I had a baby. I, I totally. Post that. I would totally donate some some of my baby's uh, poop. I mean, because like, what's the name it's of the research? So important. Her name is... Um, is it Lucy Mailing? N- no, okay. it is... Yeah. I mean, I'm, there may be many people doing this kind of okay. this kind of work. Can we maybe, uh, Sean, find a link to that and like just put it in the in the show notes to crowds, the crowdsourcing? Well, it's not there yet. She said follow oh. her on Twitter. When oh, okay. You, so so okay. it's funny. I, I uh, A gal I know, Lucy Mailing, she, um, she's been helping with some gut stuff. About, about 14 months ago, I, I got really bad food poisoning and my gut has been destroyed for the last year or so. Uh, e. coli, H. pylori, cryptosporidium, I told you parasites, bleach, bacteria, all this stuff. <laughs> we were down in Brazil, and it was uh, it was bad. I've learned so much about the gut microbiome, yeah. but the thing I've learned most is we how little we know about the gut microbiome, and even all the testing and stuff that I've done, it's it's mapping only so much. And I think what we'll learn 10, 20, 30 years from now is uh, there is a significant role in uh, in in breastfeeding and then also the overuse of antibiotics um and and there are a few other things that radically negatively affect our our gut microbiome and if i were to speculate i would put all of my eggs you're right we don't have enough data for it yet but i would put my eggs in the breastfeeding is better if possible basket i think i would put my eggs in that basket too i mean Mm. i think that the evidence pretty clearly supports that and i think that the question is just you know how um I think that it, that message is better is is can be sent with accurate data. 
Mm. They say breastfeeding is better if possible for these reasons. Let's list the actual reasons, some of which are actually pretty important, like reduction of breast cancer risk for the mom. Mm. So there are some like real serious reasons to do this. I think we just, as with all public health messaging, I think it is better to tell people the truth mm. about what is supported in the data rather than things which are sort of could be true but probably are, are not um, with the idea that if we tell people that this is the most important thing. That's that's what will make them do it. Whereas, in fact, I think what will make them do it is making it easier. Yeah, mm. yeah, yep. I agree. If we had the infrastructure in place and also a better understanding of it, mm. I know uh, my wife when she when she was breastfeeding, her uh, former spouse, um, she was breastfeeding in public, and he kind of did the same thing. Like, why are you doing that in public? And she's like, oh, oh, this isn't gonna work. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and I think I think sort of understanding like. Um, and if you can't be empathetic, I think it's pretty hard for a man to be empathetic about breastfeeding. At least, at least trying to trying to understand that like there there's a need for this, and we need to set up the infrastructure. And if the infrastructure is not there, we at least need to to find a way to understand, put ourselves in in your shoes to the best of our ability. Yeah, yeah. What I'm hearing you say too, Emily, is like it's it's uh yeah, breastfeeding. Yeah, if you can do that, great. But if you don't don't beat yourself up over it. Yes. Don't, yeah. Don't beat yourself up with guilt if you don't, if you're not able to breastfeed. Sleep training. Yeah. Let's talk about Get it. Into it. <laughs> Tell I me like about it. it. So sleep training refers to the the practice of like letting your baby cry uh, in in to help them learn to fall asleep on their on their own. So you know, there's the Ferber Ferber method. There's like different variants on this uh, method, um, but they all kind of involve some like making sure the baby is happy and well-fed and doesn't, as in their diapers change and so on, and then kind of leaving them in their crib and closing the door for some period. Um, and typically they will they will cry and sort of typically the way the sleep sleep training will work is if you sort of do that, the first night they will cry a lot, the second night they will not cry as much, and eventually they, you know, a couple, few nights later they won't cry at all. Right. Um, and then they will go to sleep on their own. Um, and so this is a pretty controversial, has some controversial aspects. So, um, uh, some people will actually mostly doc many doctors will tell you like this helps your kid learn to sleep better mm -hmm. um, and then people other people will tell you that if you do this your kid will um, not be able to form adult attachments and mm -hmm. that this will like damage them psychologically um, and so I dig into the to the data in the book and I think there's kind of two two pieces that are worth noting so one is just there's a question of like does this work um, and the answer is yes so babies that are sleep trained sleep better um, they sleep for longer they wake up less they fall asleep more easily those effects are are present immediately and also um, also you know somewhat later um, there are also pretty there's pretty good evidence that this uh, is good for the parents in the sense of reducing the incidence of uh, depression um, and improving marital satisfaction so if you sort of think about some of the some of the factors behind postpartum depression, um, sleep is really important for people's mood. Mm -hmm. uh, and if your kid sleeps better and you sleep better, that is going to on average make you uh, happier. So that's good. On the flip side of like, you know, are there differences in behavior problems, in attachment, in in mood, in other kinds of things for, for infants or older kids as a result of sleep training? There's just no evidence for that. So if anything, like, you know, right after sleep training, babies, parents report their babies are happier are like, you know, I think it's probably, probably that just that the parents are happier. And so their kind of <laughs> interactions with the babies are, are better. But when you look at kids at like yeah. five or six, where actually the sleep training aspects of it are, are kind of over. So kids sleep similarly if 
five or six, no matter whether you're sleep training them or not. Mm-hmm. But there's no evidence that this has long-term effects or short-term effects on kids' attachment or or happiness. It's not like so. we looked at John Wayne Gacy and he was sleep trained. And right. so now, although correlation there again, yes. right? Yeah. Um, there were some other things. You, you, again, I was reading the book and I'm like, I didn't realize. Like, I knew these were things like jaundice. But like, it, th- there are even things like if I had another kid right now, I probably wouldn't be that worried about as a father, but um, I, I know Bex, again, she, yeah, of course I worried about this. It's something that all mothers think about. Yeah. Um, and, and then like circumcision is even another thing. Like to me, uh, it seems barbaric, but, um, and like a weird cultural imperative. But then in the book you talk about, well, there's actually some positive benefits from yeah, doing it. Small. There's some small positive benefits and some small costs. Yeah. Um, I think that's like, if anything, one of the places in the book where it comes out the most strongly how important your preferences are, yeah. right? So you sort of have people who are like, this is who have this sort of, this is barbaric. And then people who will say like, you know, well, it's really important for me that my kid's penis look this particular way because, you know, or for cultural reasons. Mm-hmm. And the answer, like, the, and, but if you look at like, what does the data say? The answer is like, there are some small, you know, some small health benefits. They're pretty small. Uh, there are some small risks. They're really small um, and, you know, pretty pretty minor. And so really the thing that should determine whether you do that with your kid is just w- whether you want to do that or not. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the most important the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes it comes down to that in a lot of different decisions. Now, it's just that the data on that one was, was seemingly very much 50-50. Yeah. It's really 50-50. And but to someone like me, where I'm like that's barbaric. Well, of course you know where I would stand if if I if I had a boy. Yeah. It it, it just it, it wouldn't make sense to me. Like I don't care whether our penises look similar or not. Like it's not something that I'm I'm that worried about. Um, I, I want to talk about <laughs> and it costs extra to do that. So right, you can save, you can like, save like fifty this bucks. This is really more of a discount. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Doc. How much? Is that how much is that circus session like, going to cost me? Oh no, can you I know, get a deal? Yeah. Like a two for one or anything? Right. You know? Well, I think about that. We're at, we're at the hospital this weekend, and, and they asked they asked Ella. By the way, the gender of reassignment <laughs> surgery went fine. Thank yeah. you for asking. Um, no, I, there this weekend. Um, she uh, she was leaving, right? And uh, uh, she they asked her like, "Do you want to get? Uh, do you want the wheelchair ride out?" And she's like, "Yeah, wheelchair ride. I've never been in a wheelchair." Oh. And as soon as we get to the accident, I'm like, "I wonder how much that wheelchair ride just cost us?" Oh. Because they can charge you for anything, yeah. right? Dude, that's a totally different podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our medical now, these problems, they have these like problems. have these like crazy rules. Like I. Uh, and so when we had my son, I there was like something where like basically I when we were leaving, like I was just gonna carry him out. And and then they were like, and I sort of got to like some place and they were like, oh no, like you can't carry. I'd already like walked all the way down the hall with him. They were like, oh no, you can't do that. You have to put him in the like wheelie thing. So I had to like walk back into that room and then put him in the wheelie thing and wheel him out. And I was like, but I already walked like the whole, this is like more walking. (laughs) They were just like, I'm sorry, that's the rule. You have to be wheeling the baby. They were helicopter parenting you. They were helicopter parenting Mm. me, absolutely. Uh, So let's talk about opportunity costs a little bit because uh, I I think about parenting this way now and um, it's just constantly like weighing out the opportunity costs, I feel like. Which this seems to me like having kids is by and large a bad decision. <laughs> um, <laughs> because there are so many opportunity costs. I wrote down some of them. Sleep. 
sleep. That's a big one. It's a big one. Uh, and I can attest to that. Uh, time. I mean, you lose a, a lot of your free time. Health. Kids are always getting sick, and they're always getting us sick. I, mm-hmm. I'm just getting over this cold because of Ella, and, and she passes it around, gets it from other kids. I got... What's that... In 2017, I got hand, foot, and mouth oh, disease. Oh, that's a bad one. That's mm. a bad one. It was awful. And we've never had that one. That's mm. a bad one. It was, and I would never have had that without a kid. Yeah. I don't hang around kids. No, no, mm. you would not have gotten that. No, and, and so, and it was all, and we had to miss a tour stop because of it. Oh yeah. Um, wait, was that the one that I did by myself? Yeah. So we didn't miss a tour stop. That's <laughs> <laughs> the royal we. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we were in Washington D.C. and. Um, but Cal Newport was there, so that that counts, right? He he filled in for yeah. me. Yeah, and so was he's uh, blonde and tall. So was uh, uh, Canyon City. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, money, that's another big one. Um, kids cost a lot of. I mean, I know when I think about money. not having kids, I'm like, what am I gonna do with all that extra money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's an opportunity cost. Energy. Mm. You talk about this in the book a little bit, like the, just the time and energy. I mean, to me, it's one of your most precious resources is your your energy and your attention. That's another opportunity cost because you have to give a lot of attention to the kid that you can't give to other creative pursuits or something else. That, that is a, a finite resource, right? Um, experiences that you would have without the child. Uh, travel. You can travel with kids. Uh, in the book, you talked about having, uh, I think it was a trip to... France, yeah. maybe, when yeah. uh, it was a yeah, it was ill-planned good. trip to. No, th- <laughs> there was an ill-planned trip to Spain. Oh, um, Spain, there was a well-planned trip to France. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I find that traveling with infants is is pretty difficult, but it also depends on the infant. Um, uh, Bex's sister just had a kid, who is the nicest, friendliest baby I've ever met in my life. And um, I think traveling with him it would be like a a blessing. Uh, and so it kind of depends on the kid. Our friend Griffin House has two daughters who I'm, I'm really glad Ella is not like those two girls because <laughs> I would have seven kids. If, if, if Ella was as nice and kind as, as, uh, as Griffin's two kids, I would, I'd have to move back to the Midwest and get a bigger house <laughs> because I would have so many kids because they're so adorable and, and, and lovable. And, and, uh, although, I, I I sort of have the uncle's eye view of it too, right? Yeah. Like I get to swoop in mm-hmm. and have the the. Didn't one of them threaten to set you on fire? Yeah, but in the <laughs> cutest way. <laughs> so cute. It was, was awesome. going to be an adorable fire. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice. It was a nice fire. I might set you on fire. You're so adorable. <laughs> she came up to me. She said, "I could set you on fire right now." <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> she's so cute. Um, let's see friendships I mean come on let's be uh, honest it does make having for every kid you have you have to lose one friend and you gain <laughs> new friends but they're like friends by proxy the, mm. the proxy is your kid yeah yeah <laughs> well, yeah I mean, these are, I mean this is like this interesting aspect of, of kids where this you know, this is a book like all joy and no fun that like people sort of when you parent it's like 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 you're not you're like not having fun but yet if you ask people like you know do you like having kids they'll be like yes this is the most important thing that I that I do even though like in the moment when you like survey people do like happiness these like momentary happiness surveys where they like text you and be like what are you doing now how happy are you people are really not happy when they're taking yeah. care of their kids right um, they're mostly happy when they're having sex actually that's like the biggest thing um, well you're speaking up to my other opportunity calls here uh, uh, pleasure, sex. happiness, okay. um, sex, 
tends to go down at first, uh, right after a kid. Um, and, um, and by the way, it probably should, um, uh, if you're just a guy like, all right, you had the kid, let's, uh, let's get right back at it. <laughs> I don't really feel like it right now. <laughs> ah, that's okay. <laughs> I feel like it. Like it's just, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, um, it is an opportunity cost that I think quite often we, we don't, we don't think about, um, when we talk about travel, mobility is is another one. Like obviously, it's much harder to pick up and move with your family of four. Yeah. Um, did you have your kids when you, you so you had one kid when you were in Chicago? I had one kid in Chicago, and then we moved with um, we moved with her, and then we had a second kid. Uh huh. Yeah, you, you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I actually we've moved a lot of times. Okay. Um, so my husband and I, at some point, when we first moved to we moved into our current house. We calculated that over the last like ten years together, we had moved eight times. Yeah. <laughs> and we were so good at moving by the end, like so good. Like basically, I was like that. The, we moved from between two houses in Providence, and it was like. 24 hours in, mm -hmm. everything in the new house was unpacked and I had been at work all day. Wow. It was like that, I, like I went to work and like I was just like I had really worked out like how you could get other people to like unpack your for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, I mean I think that, um, that you're kind of right when you, when you outline it, uh, like there are a lot of co costs, uh -huh. opportunity and otherwise to having kids, but then there are like things that you can't, that experiences that are hard to that you you wouldn't have otherwise, right? So even something For like sure. like travel, like I you know there are some kinds of travel that we don't do that we you know that my husband and I did before we had kids that we couldn't do with them, um, but then like the experience of like of exploring and and traveling and sort of doing stuff with your kids is actually like really great and and kind of you get to see things anew. I don't know, like in a way that that you get to experience things again. Even with books, actually, this is for me, it's like the biggest thing. I love books and I loved books as a kid and I love to read and my daughter always also really likes to read. And so I get to like, now I read to her and we can like, now she's old enough that the stuff that I'm reading is really fun. And, and you know, we read the Harry Potter books mm. a couple years ago and like I got to like read, read those, those again. Yeah, I read okay. those out loud and now I've been reading out loud. Now I'm reading out loud something I never, I haven't read myself and which I really like. And How old was she when you started reading Harry Potter? About six okay. or so, yeah. I mean the the first the first books are like the first book is pretty maybe the is like pretty okay for like a younger kid. As you know, so they get more sort of sophisticated and a little darker as they as they go on. But we liked like we read her. I read her like Little House on the Prairie series. Oh wow, um, which is pretty great. Except some some you either you have to, in the first book get to edit a little bit around some of the Native American discussion, mm. which uh -huh. is a bit. You know, I found myself like, she was like, are you, she was like, are you skipping? And I was like, no, no, I'm just, no, not skipping. <laughs> just looking, looking through, thinking about how I could, you know, I mean, in some sense you could have like later, then you could have a more nuanced conversation about that. But with a six year old dude, it's we, kind of like, yeah. we had a, a listener send in, uh, we, this happens quite a bit that like, who are in, end up being like uh, children's book authors, they'll send in books and I'll, I'll read them to Ella. But then sometimes I don't like pre-screen them and it'll get kind of religious-y and I'm like, wait a minute, like this isn't something I'm trying to like. Right. And, and same thing happens. Yeah. Are you skipping over parts? He's like, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm always like, yeah, uh -huh. why? <laughs> I don't want to read that part, but why? Yeah, shut up, Ella. Yeah. <laughs> I just went with lying. But okay, this is also a good, also a good approach. Yeah. But I'm not skipping, know, I'm censoring. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I just uh, say redacted for each part. <laughs> redacted. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And then yeah, the like baby it. redacted. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, 
opportunity cost. I, I bring this up to sort of just play devil's advocate here because but I think there are things that these are all things worth considering yeah. and, and understanding before you go into having a kid because then you're going into it with the right intentions. I, I know sometimes we were just like, ah, I'll figure it out when I get there. And yeah, it's true. You probably will figure it out. Right. Our parents somehow figured yeah. it out. Like We lived through the first 18 years. Yeah. Um, or but, I would say we somehow figured it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really. Right, right. But th- th- they happened to like, I don't know, they provided enough um, and it was more stable than, I don't yeah. know, being I'm a, in Somalia. I always Somalia. had food on the table, thanks to government assistance. Yeah. I mean, was, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it, people have it worse in other countries. <laughs> For sure. But it's, it's funny. And to look in at, this country. There are some people in this country absolutely. who had it worse. In fact, there were many people in my neighborhood. I, I thought we had the most stable home because I was the only kid in my neighborhood who wasn't being raised by his grandparents. Uh-huh. It's so like, I, I was the, I only had one parent. It was just my mom. Um, and, and but in some way you did have the most stable home i absolutely did right. we had a nintendo and so like everyone from the neighborhood it was came a Se- over it was a sega genesis eventually yeah. oh okay okay <laughs> toe jam and earl uh, emily do, do you have uh what are some surprises like are there like three of the biggest surprises you've had since parenting or or lessons or things that stick out to you since that, that you never expected there are a lot of things I didn't expect. I mean, I think that, that part of it is I, I – the biggest surprise for me is that I'm continually surprised. That even though I'm spent – I try to parent really deliberately and, like, think about what's coming and, you know, be be ready. And then there's, like, a lot of conversations that come up that I'm just, like, not ready for in the, in the moment, um, even though I – think that of myself as like a very like neurotically prepared <laughs> so like what's like uh, the most recent person. surprise you've had um my daughter wanted to talk about what a period was oh wow. um because she read it in a book not she's because, eight yeah okay. like she read it in a book we read the new um she read the Rena tell him tell familiar with the Rena telemayer like mm-hmm. graphic novels oh my yeah. god they're amazing uh-huh. so this is like an amazing set of graphic novels um some of which are sort of autobiographical and they got the, the newest one which is called guts um which is totally great and so there's some discussion of periods and so somehow this came up and then she had like asked her friends about what um you know what it like what what this was and and so you know i was sort of like not i i hadn't really thought about what i was gonna say about that but it was okay went yeah. fine i, I uh, never get freaked out about the um like i still take baths with with ella and i mean she's six now i'm sure there'll be some point where i'm not naked in a tub with her anymore but um like we 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 aren't a nudist family by any stretch of the imagination. Oh look, we're minimalists. Like we don't have any clothes <laughs> in the house. Uh, you have people leave their shoes at the front doors. Like we just set all of our clothes there. It's, right. it's not like that. But like, um, I, I don't freak out or, uh, around that kind of stuff. And maybe uh, I'm sure there'll be a time. Well, of course there'll be a time where she's like, all right. Uh, but I remember that she she was asking questions like that because she heard her mom say period when she mm-hmm. was like two and I so i'm trying to explain it to a two-year-old yeah. mm. and and that's always surprising because i know like i can I'll, when i really want to like get her to move on from something i will try to have more like medical complex conversations sure. she just moves ah yeah. fuck this i can't figure it out like right. I, i'm gonna move on to something <laughs> all else. sorts of the fallopian tubes <laughs> <laughs> sometimes she'll look at, at her mom she goes understand what he's saying <laughs> I'm like, yes. uh, um we were uh i was reading her stories the other night and uh i brought uh david foster wallace as the pale king into bed <laughs> there's a whole section about tax code in there I'm re- she <laughs> looks over what what is he saying <laughs> um but I, I i don't know i like to inject um although here's the thing i i have some of my uh my f- one of my favorite things that's ever been created about parenting 
a friend of ours, Rob Bell, created an audio book to a book that doesn't exist. It's called Launching Rockets. And uh, it's 17 observations about parenting. He, he says, I, I, he has three kids. Um, he's a really great public speaker. And um, one of the things he talks about, I think it's number eight, um, don't exacerbate your children. Uh, who can your kid t- turn to if the person they trust most is irritating them? Mm. And, if you, and if you apologize, then you are joining them in, in witness of what is wrong. So... Um, so some, I, I find that difficult because I forget to apologize, especially to a, a six-year-old because I'm like, I'm right and the six-year-old's wrong, but then I'm acting like a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry you're wrong, Ella. <laughs> but, right. <laughs> but then I also really enjoy exacerbating her. Like, I, I, I like to make her, like, frustrated. Mm. And that's my own, like, neurotic tick that I have to, like... Uh, I don't know, throttle back a little bit because I, I get weird joy out of sort of prodding her. I, you get joy out of prodding her too. I call them small tortures. <laughs> <laughs> They're just the littlest of the tortures. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, uh, he comes around, whenever he comes around, he pretends to be the fun police. Uh-huh. And so like he stops her from having fun. I'll be like, hey, yeah. Stop having fun. She'd be like, <laughs> I'm having fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's always a, 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 I find like I'm actually more surprised. The reason I asked you this question about things you're surprised about, I'm actually more surprised by my reactions mm-hmm. to the interactions with, with the child than maybe what the, the, the parenting itself. Yeah, I think that you you learn a lot about your yourself. Strangely. Um, yeah, and like, you know, I think I parent a lot uh differently than i thought that i would on a bunch of different i mean one is just the piece of like i remember as a kid uh we always had the natural peanut butter um where you has like mix mix up that you know and and i would see these commercials for jiff mm. and jiff you just take it out of the thing you know uh-huh. you just take it out it was like choosy moms choose jiff and i was like i'm gonna get when i have kids i'm gonna get jiff and we're gonna have <laughs> jiff and that's like white bread and jiff and we're not gonna have this like weird chunky peanut butter also my mom didn't like to mix it up so you know it would just be like kind of by the end it was just sort of like this whole wheat bread with these like chunks of <laughs> peanut and, like, she wasn't like a great connoisseur as an adult that sounds delicious though i don't know i agree i think it's like yeah no it's like when you think about it it's like oh that could be that could be pretty good but i was like i'm gonna get jiff and now of course like actually like we have the natural peanut butter and i'm like you know oh i would never you know sugar in it i don't know when i was like 13 or 14 smoking weed i was like i'm gonna smoke weed with my kids why wouldn't i do this (laughs) my mom lets me do it your mom used to like do acid with you yeah that's true true story (laughs) okay then yeah that's Um, our bar yeah that's our bar bar. like josh yeah yeah, my bar is really related to peanut butter um no but i mean i think i thought i was gonna be (laughs) (laughs) that's good i I thought i was gonna do you do acid with your kids no not not not, i mean they're still young yeah it's like uh the fish concerts are coming later i'm sure those guys will still be playing so that'll oh, be good right. oppor- that'll yeah. be a good opportunity. The dead will still be traveling. <laughs> it's, It'll be new members. It's gonna be new. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. hey Finn, have you heard of uh, ketamine? <laughs> yes. Yeah, mm. like, uh, <laughs> all right, we got some surprise questions here today. Oh, I had one other question. Uh, are all children sociopaths? Yeah, I think as little kids, yeah. Yeah, That's I mean right. it's yeah. uh, really so, so yeah. one thing that that we do with Ella, which we don't have a scrapbook. Instead, Ella has a Twitter account. Nice. Um, she doesn't really know what Twitter is, right. so I just capture little phrases. So ever since she was like one you can go and by the way if folks listening at home it's at ella sandwich um is her twitter handle and uh thousands of you follow her there strangely and uh but it's because she says the craziest shit 
I mean, just the the craziest things. Like, if my tongue is bleeding, you can pet it. Like, just these <laughs> context-free quotes that are that are amazing. So it's like a it has become a scrapbook in and of itself of just uh, of uh, well, uh, completely nuance lacking quotes from from Ella, uh, real quotes from her that, that come out of her mouth. But it also makes her look like a total sociopath. But I also think that I mean, she's she's. She now that she's sick, she has more empathy. But at, at, uh, it's still I think what's the word I used earlier? Solipsism, right? Like the, there's the the universe does seem to revolve around them. Yeah, eventually know? they they grow out of. But I think like a four year old, like they really the idea of like other people kind of like that, that there are other people who you know, this is like no yeah yeah other people them. have preferences. other people have preferences and it was like no that's not that's not uh it's like hard to explain like respect other people's mm. feelings because like well, what does it even mean i remember yeah. like being three years old and i was watching this like lucille ball movie where she was a homeless person and it was long story short a sad movie but i was like three and i remember like crying like the rest of the night over this movie so I'm all I'm saying is I remember having feelings when I was a kid yeah, and I, empathy. Well, Ella has feel like we try to take her to Lion King and she's never successfully been through an entire movie other than Willy Wonka the original. Um, and that didn't scare. Her. She can't watch Frozen, her. but she can watch Willy Wonka. She can't watch Frozen. She can watch Frozen. Yeah, she can't. She's try. She gets terrified. Well, when we were babysitting terrified. her, I was like. I forgot that she didn't watch movies, and I was like, "Oh, have you ever seen Despicable Me?" And she was like, "No, no, 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 no." Yeah, and I'm like, what? "Oh, that's right. You don't like to watch movies." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know what that's about, but uh, maybe she'll she'll grow out of it. Maybe not. I maybe mean, not. I prefer that's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd I'd rather rather her read books or something. Right. I'm having trouble getting her to read. She loves being read too, but actually taking the step to to read the words she can read individual words but stringing them together into sentences that have meanings she still struggles with a Mm -hmm. bit so i still struggle with that (laughs) (laughs) well i'm I'm thinking this i remember something my mom told me before she she passed away um she uh she said i think you'll you'll finally understand everything when you're i think you'll finally get it when you're 35 Mm -hmm. and i think maybe what she meant is like maybe you'll stop being a sociopath when you're 35 and i think Mm -hmm. that's about right so maybe we grow out of uh, we're finally able to start contributing to other people in adulthood. And for me, that was somewhere in my 30s. Mm. Um, before then, it was rather self-centered, I, I feel like. Although maybe I was just a late bloomer. Um, we have some surprise questions here today. Alexander says, how can a parent help motivate their children to engage and interact with their surroundings instead of pacifying them with phones and tablets and other glowing screens. Wait a minute, Alexander. Who is giving your kids tablets, yeah, phones, and glowing screens? <laughs> like, do they just show up like with a glowing screen? <laughs> well, let's... The glow screen fairy. Right. I mean, uh, do, do either one of your kids have a tablet or anything that they share? So or? there's a... Um, we, we have... So we have some screens. Um, we have a... I have an iPad, which we all kind of use. Um, there's a single iPad. Uh-huh. And then they have Kindles, which they use primarily for audiobooks, um, but also for watching some TV. Mm. Um, you know, we don't watch a lot of TV, but we watch the kids watch some TV. Yeah. Um, programming, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, like, we're not as, I don't think I'm as um, 
it is mostly yes it is like pbs it's sort of a parent parent cultivated yeah programming it's not um, twin peaks it's not twin peaks um or this lucille ball movie uh, <laughs> yeah. um so you know i mean but i talk i talk some about like what is our evidence on screen time in the book and i think the answer is like we don't really know mm-hmm. very much about screens it's too new yeah so if you like want to know like what's the impact of these screens on like my kids mental health in high school or their high school graduation or whatever like it's just too new to know to know to know the answers to that and so i think that kind of leaves it on the parents to sort of figure out like what you know what's going to work with your family what's going to work with your um with with your kids and i think that's just about setting this is about setting the boundaries you're you're comfortable with yeah you know i'm comfortable with my kids watching a little bit of you know a little bit of tv at some you know particularly sort of structured times Mm -hmm. mostly on the you know mostly on the weekend um and you know we use ipad time for rewards basically like in sort of small chunks as like rewards for sort of doing your homework basically you get some small number of minutes of of app time yeah and and that works for us but it's not the same i mean it's not that i think that that's like the right way to do it. it's just like that's what we've decided fits inside the the schedule of life that we that we want to have yeah i think yeah setting the boundaries like that's that's how i look at it it's like you get to choose when your kids have those things in their hands so like you you and bex do a great job with ella i mean when mariah and i were babysitting her i don't know a few weeks ago when we when you guys left you're like don't let her watch more you know than this show that she's watching yeah and i was like hey ella let me know when you're done watching that Mm -hmm. show and then we'll do something else and when the show was over surprisingly she was like all right i'm done like there was no she didn't try to sneak more time in but i think that that speaks to the boundaries that you and bex have like gone out of your way to to set for ella especially like when uh bex drives out here and ella gets the screen time on the way out Uh and it's funny because i remember when rebecca was saying that to mariah and i she almost like it was this guilty thing of like oh she never gets to but you know it just keeps her quiet and you know i find it like, like it's but it's like dude she's traveling it's a special treat like yeah. it's totally like it's actually kind of cool to set up these moments for your kids to where they can indulge just a little bit cuz i think you know you don't want to be a luddite you don't want to uh you don't want your kids to be deprived right so like having you know having these boundaries set like hey on trips you get screen time we're yeah. having a fun time it's vacation you get to do this on vacation or yeah you get to only watch 20 minutes of tv uh you know a, a day or whatever it is mm-hmm. but yeah i mean i would say alexander like you got to find those boundaries that are appropriate for you and your family and stick to those boundaries that's kind of the key point too right sticking to them yeah i agree i mean i think one of the things we found that like is like there are ways in which this technology can be like awesome so like yeah. my kids both get really sick they like have they're tremendously car sick in the car so like we can't watch tv in the car which i would be totally fine with doing but they they turns out they love audiobooks mm. and so we have like audiobooks on their kindles and so when we sit in the car it's like totally changed our ability to do stuff um because we can drive much further because they're very happy to like sort of sit and like listen to you know ramona quimby audiobooks uh-huh. um which is totally great ella has yeah. discovered podcasts recently there's just uh-huh. one uh what's it called uh what the one with guy Raz? uh what in the world yeah what it's what something like that people say i haven't had my kids listen to that people say it's really good yeah it is it, um she she loves it she she talks about it all the time uh pat says do you have any tips for raising gifted children and then we have a question from jennifer as well it says what does the data say about raising children with special needs and so these are sort of questions on both sides of of, of the spectrum um <laughs> I think we we maybe overuse this term gifted. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's that's a fair? Assi- Everyone fair. has gifted kids. Like I, I won't I won't say Ella's gifted. Like, I mean uh, what I mean or we maybe we all have gifts so we're all gifted. But like what is what is that really? 
Can't we just accept that we have an average kid sometimes? Isn't that okay? People are not into that. I, I'm totally into that. Yeah. Uh, it's not about... Uh, now, and then special needs children. Ella's not a special needs children. She's a special wants ch- child. Mm-hmm. She has <laughs> <laughs> very particular <laughs> desires. Yeah. Uh, we all have that kid. <laughs> That's, uh, so so um, what does the data say about that? You know, I think that the... Um, that once you're sort of in a space of like kind of... That's outside of some of these more t- sort of the, the standard kind of choices that you're that you're making all parenting is a little bit like you're you have to reinvent the wheel f- for yourself and mm-hmm. figure out what um you know what's gonna what's gonna like work f- for you and and work for your kid and so one of the things I, I've been thinking a lot about is just the role of kind of being more deliberate about the choices that you make. And so sort of saying like there isn't a right way to raise a gifted kid or a special needs kid. There isn't like there isn't like one, you know, like secret trick for like if your kid is gifted, like they need to go to this school or have this app or have that, you know, but that when you sit down to think about what are the ways that I can support my kid in whatever is their, you know, particular set of of needs or wants or or choices having a way like being deliberate about the choices that you're going to make which i think we're often not in parenting we often sort of just react to whatever is like the last problem mm. um and that actually works mostly works okay with like little kids because a lot of the problems you face are very immediate sure. as your kids get older the problems get more complicated they get more more unique to your kid they get more uh they get more unusual they get harder logistically and that's where you just sort of having taking a moment to sit down and say okay like let me think about how I'm going to to manage whatever is the situation and collect data that I maybe I need or even just think about how does this fit inside my family that that's probably a more important thing than than thinking that there's going to be some piece of evidence or some solution that's going to crop up that's perfect I think that whether whether or not you have a gifted kid a special needs kid or you're like most of us who have average kids um the same stuff generally applies. Yeah, I go back to that Rob Bell thing with, with launching rockets and some of his advice in here is your child is not a bucket into which you pour your anxieties about your own life. Yes. Like that that's good advice whether or not you have a special needs child or a gifted child or or someone in between. Uh, by the way, we all, we all do have gifts. Like Ella is like a crazy fast runner. I suppose that makes her gifted in one area. Mm-hmm. Um and and she's a decent soccer player at age six but like what does that even mean right now and how does that translate to other areas the the broader advice you know being supportive and setting up structure and stability and consistency for your kid man that that goes a long way regardless of your kid's preferences yeah a few other things here um the greatest gift you can give your kid is to be fully alive yourself and and i found that 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 advice, you know, it, it's almost the the obverse side of don't pour your anxieties into yeah. your kid, but live well around your kid. Don't right? make your kid the thing that like don't don't try to make the kid your kid the things that you did not achieve. Yes. Which I think a lot of you know like well I thought I was going to be great at this and it didn't really work out, but like now I'm going to invest in you being great at this. It's like, well maybe that's not what your kid's for. Yeah. You're like going to the the crib, whispering to the baby, "You're going to be a great violinist." Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a baby. But Ella really likes soccer, though, right? Uh, she likes it okay. okay. Yeah. But but um. But I guess where I'm going with that is like, if you have kids, like it's not about uh forcing upon them what they should be doing as much as like observing what they like to do and then maybe supporting them in that manner as long as it's appropriate, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, so a couple other bits here. Uh, you were always teaching your kids. Sometimes you use your words. And uh, I mean, it's that goes along with what you said earlier about um, 
the action versus counseling thing, mm-hmm. right? Or yeah. conduct versus counseling. Mm-hmm. The the you're teaching your kids, but it's almost always like the the analogy I'll often use is like uh, if I'm telling Ella to when she was younger to use her fork when she was eating, right? But then like I'm grabbing a piece of broccoli off her mom's plate and right. eating it myself. It's like okay, I'm teaching her. Yeah. I'm saying do one thing, but then I'm doing this other thing. And how can I get upset at her for not using her fork when I'm mm-hmm. when obviously not doing it myself? But of course I'm different, right? Like I, I'm the exception. I should be able to do what I want. Right. I pay the damn bills around here, Ella. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, dude, that's like the worst. I remember, yeah, my parents telling me that I pay the bills, oh. so you do what I say. It's like that's the worst parenting advice. Yeah. <laughs> Here's two two more bits of uh, observation or advice here. For any kid, gifted, special needs, or, or average, uh, you want to give your kids as little as possible they're going to have to unlearn later. That's a difficult one because you don't always know what we're going to have to unlearn. But, um, you know, there's obviously, there's what do we call it, inciting incidents or, or childhood traumas mm-hmm. that, that we all have regardless of, of our upbringing, whether we were raised by professors or alcoholics, like there are some sort of childhood trauma yeah. that, that happened that sticks with us. And uh, we have to, in many ways, sort of unlearn it or learn from it, learn to move beyond it. And so you know, creating fewer of those, those childhood traumas is probably important. Yeah, a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Last thing here, it's really, really, really important that your kids learn to ask questions. This one obviously drives me crazy because kids are pretty good at asking questions, but um, that's how I think at some point we almost beat the questions out of them. And then uh, it's probably happened somewhere, what, around teenage years where you become uncool to ask right. questions and not have all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, teaching your sort of creating, there's always this tension with kids about sort of creating a, creating a safe space where they can, they can ask you things while maintaining that like you're not their bestie. Like, you know, you're their, their parent, the sort of like, like authoritative rather than authoritarian approach to parenting mm-hmm. um, is, is a, a challenging line to, to cross like a challenging line to I guess not cross um and I think it it comes up as they as they age and then you sort of see it you, you like want to cultivate that when they're they still like you yeah. so then later when they don't like you they will still think of you as someone they can they can talk to um and I don't know I think that's something I've been thinking a lot about <laughs> well and they have to be able to trust you too I mean it's the reason that that um and I don't know what your thoughts are on this but uh we 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 don't pretend there's a Santa Claus in in our house. Um, we also, uh, and and the the reason I I but we we still um we still acknowledge that there's a a fictional character called Santa Claus. Sure. Yeah, and you're not we'll, a liar. Uh, like, well, and you know. actually, at first Ella didn't believe me, like because she's like, no, I saw him at the mall. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to explain, like if I dressed up as Peppa Pig, I wouldn't be Peppa Pig, and. And, and but would you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's like some existential question here. Uh, I feel like we're in the room with like Kant or something. Uh, yeah. So I we, we could we could uh, we can still have fairy tales and fictions and stories that we can celebrate with our kids, but not uh, tell them the lie at the same time. Because well, uh, this one white lie is okay, but mm-hmm. then. Yeah they're going to realize, oh, maybe I can't trust him about other stuff or I can't trust her about these other fundamental things that are actually important. Yeah, we talked about the Tooth Fairy. Like, you know, I, I daughter, my daughter somehow believed in the Tooth Fairy until like a pretty 
pretty long after, you know, because I mm-hmm. uh, like we don't we, our policies we don't offer the the truth, but if you ask, you get you you know I'm not going to lie to uh-huh. you if you say like is Santa Claus real? I'm not going to say yes. Um, so so but the tooth fairy didn't didn't come up until a while, and so it's but at some point she was like, Mom, tell me the truth: is the tooth fairy real? And I was like, No, tooth fairy's not real. And she was like, I didn't think so because other fairies are not real. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's right. Other fairies are not real. <laughs> it was just sort of like, she like went mulling it over and she's like, I didn't think that seemed plausible. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. She's like, and also sometimes they forget, sometimes I don't get the money and that's usually when you're not around. And I was like, yeah, yeah, dad's not, dad's not as good at remembering the tooth fairy <laughs> activities. Yeah, we, uh, so we're the same way with tooth fairy. Ella just lost another tooth recently and, um, she put her tooth under the pillow. Uh, she she knows Tooth Fairy is imaginary, but like likes to play the game of getting money sure. for for the tooth. Or sometimes, ironically, we'll give her candy. Um, <laughs> and so, but uh, I think it was money this time. Uh, her mom put it under the pillow. She woke up the next morning crying. And she said, I want my tooth back. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm trying to explain to her, well, you can't have the money and the tooth. Mm. Like this is uh, this is how the <laughs> market it's works. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's about supply and demand. It's exchanging money for goods and services. Like, did you like get it? That's the way it works. <laughs> what a great way to teach your kid about the economy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tim says, can you recommend some, speaking of the economy, uh, can you recommend some financial education resources for children? I know I have one really good one, but I'd love to hear what Emily has to say. I do not have any good ones for this. Uh, I'm well, listening to you. Yeah, uh, Smart Money, Smart Kids. Uh, our friend uh, Rachel Cruz, her father's Dave Ramsey. I'm sure you've uh-huh, heard of Dave yeah. Ramsey. Um, they wrote a book together called Smart Money, Smart Kids. And the system is, is, I mean, you can read the book. I think the book is really helpful. Uh, uh, the the system, plain and simple, is when you give them allowance or they are dealing with any kind of money, you you have three envelopes, right? You have the money you're going to contribute to other people, the money you're going to save for the future, and then the money you're going to spend. It helps mm-hmm. them uh, get a mindset around around what they do. If you have ten dollars worth of allowance, then you know ten percent of that, twenty percent of that, thirty, whatever you're going to contribute, where and then figure out where is that going to do, mm-hmm. what good is that going to do in the world. Uh, the money you're going to save for the future and why you're saving that for the future. And then once those two are sort of taken care of, then whatever's left is the money you have to spend. And, uh, I mean, that's that's the gist of, of the book. But I found that to be really helpful, well, you know, just talking to kids about money. Um, it's, I mean, Ella's sick. She doesn't, she finally knows the difference between a $1 bill and a $20 bill. But, like, it doesn't go that far beyond that at this mm-hmm. point, but continually talking and understanding. And also, I ask Ella questions about money. Like, if she's being rude or mean to her mom, I'll ask, how much money does it cost you to be nice to your mom? And she'll look at me like, it doesn't cost me any money to be nice. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, then why aren't you being nice if it's free? Mm-hmm. And, she, and and and, and uh, I, I found that quite often that, that shifts her, like it gets her out of whatever funk or um, mm-hmm. immediate tantrum she was in. And uh, j- just questions like that, as opposed to like, stop doing that, why are you doing that? Asking a question that at least gets her thinking about it in a way. Um, so it's not a money related question directly. So smart money, smart kids is, is a good way to go. Monica says, I remember being told as a young mother not to hold my babies as much as I did, but I did it anyway, and I never regretted it. So I guess my question is, does the data show that more physical contact produces more relaxed children? No, but I think it doesn't show more physical contact 
produces less relaxed children. I mean, I think that that if you sort of looked, we're not going to have a lot of evidence on those on those kind of questions because that type of data is just really hard to really hard to get. Well, I did see a study where it was with foster kids uh-huh. and foster kids from birth. So either born right into foster care, they go in these cribs and it was uh, it, it talked about being held and specifically like this. Um, rubbing of the back of the head and even like me doing that to myself right now like I started to get this tingle down my spine mm-hmm. and there was a was a causation or correlation yeah. but it but it did show that kids who were held more they were okay with being uh, with physical touch later in life whether it was you know a handshake or being hugged or someone just coming up and like touching their shoulder mm-hmm. versus kids who had who had virtually no touch there was a significant difference in yeah. the data, but it's only one study I, yeah, I but saw. But I also them. think that that, I mean, I think that gets to sort of some of this stuff that we're sort of talking about, about kind of like where is the range of experience you're looking in. Yeah. So I think sometimes this kind of this kind of question gets interpreted as like, if I ever put my, ba- like, should I never put my baby down? Oh, is right. it important that I carry my baby at all times? Yeah. And should they never be in the, in the crib? And that's sort of like, should they never be away from me? Well, no, it's fine for your baby to sometimes be in the crib. Sure. As, and th- but then there's a question of like how important is touch and like you know hugging and love to kids. And the answer is like yes, if you do, if kids get very little physical contact, that's gonna be very very bad. And we have this sounds like yeah. this study, but also like evidence from orphanages and from sort of like situations of tremendous deprivation where we know that that kind of early life touch is very is very important. So sort of simultaneously acknowledging that like y- yes physical contact is really important for babies Mm -hmm. and also saying it's also fine if your baby sleeps in their crib by themselves like that's those things can kind of both be true yeah i think like with a lot of things when it comes to parenting it's uh it's finding that balance right so like no touch is going to be not good and then 100 percent coddling your kid probably isn't going to be good um yeah letting your kid cry themselves to sleep yeah it's okay but always letting your kids cry and not doing anything about it not not good right yeah so it's about finding that balance so uh monica keep keep hugging your babies hold your kids but put them down sometimes too (laughs) that's right it's good emily i'm gonna thank you for being here today uh i think you've you've written a really meaningful book that a lot of people will get a lot of value from i encourage people to check it out it's called crib sheet also if you're if you're pregnant expecting better which i've not read yet but um, looking forward to to diving into that. Um, I don't know if I'll, if I'll ever need it, but uh, that's another book that you can check out about pregnancy as well. People can find you online. Where's the best place for them to find you? Um, I am on Twitter, Prof. Emily Aster, and also Instagram, same handle. Beautiful. Cool. Thank you for being here today. Yeah. Thank Thanks you guys so much. for having me. This was super, super fun. You're awesome. The Minimalists. <laughs>